You are listening to Is There an Echo in Here? A podcast about Echo and the Bunnymen. Welcome to a new, we'll call it a new season. Season two, it's a big deal. It's yeah. It's a big deal. It really is. It's pretty cosmic. Man, <laughs> oh man. Episode. This episode is... It, it will blow your minds. <laughs> I guarantee that you um, will not be disappointed by this episode. It really is so, so good. But before we get into all that, let's just start our episode out. Like we always do. I'm going to tell the listener that this really is a podcast about Echo and the Bunnymen, the band. And the whole deal with it, the premise, if you will, is I go into my husband's studio where he's (laughs) attempting some musical feat. and Making the impossible possible. (laughs) And I come in... And I say, hey, it's time to stop what you're doing because it's time to start <laughs> what you're doing. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's it. And what I'm doing is a little podcast about this band that I really like and that you are, you know, growing to love. And what I like to know. I love them. Okay. Yeah, I do love them more. So we can each stop day. here. Yeah. <laughs> right. There's more. you. You haven't. It's just the tip of the iceberg, Shane. Now. I just could cry right now. <laughs> Why? Because we have new microphones <laughs> and windscreens and a new interface. <laughs> you do just look wistful. I was I'm just like. like I feel like this is helping our conversation flow better. Oh my god, we're not next to We're like, not like just cramming on the rusty mic, you know, and and I just feel like that's that's a big way to start season two is just get we got some new gear. It's being like two I or busted three out, feet apart. Look, Guitar Center gave me this credit card and they said zero percent interest <laughs> for two years and I've bought a bass and a keyboard and now this shit and we'll just pay it off on zero warranty. Zero, yeah. not warranty. Zero um, interest. Zero interest. interest. Yes, actually, I bought warranty because we know how the interface works. We've heard our other episodes You've heard with our the crackle. crackle and all that shit. So uh, <laughs> I got a three-year warranty on this interface. As soon as I hear a crackle, that motherfucker's going <laughs> to Guitar Center, and they're going to give me a new one. So, yeah. Well, I'm just glad that I'm not having to just twitch and cringe every time I say an S and a P when I'm editing these things and I'm eternally grateful for this windscreen which that's to me the most exciting part frankly but you know you know what else I'm grateful for what what are you grateful this table we have this table now it's we're sitting across from, from the each other on you know at a card table yeah, that like we set normal. up for our guest who is in this episode more on that soon she also did not have to sit, you know, against us. No, <laughs> sharing no. a mic. 
But she was able to sit in her own, yeah. you know. But we had to hover over each other over the other mic. But I, I might need to return this and get more inputs <laughs> and then another mic, and then we can have an interview, and everyone has a mic. Wow. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, enough. <laughs> enough about. <laughs> enough about that us. shit. <laughs> and uh, let's get back into it. Um, why did I have to reiterate? that I am really excited about. I can't stop like thinking about this how is a phenomenal we are. episode. You will learn so much. Our guest tonight is Shannon O'Neill. She's a clinical psychologist or something, therapist. She's our therapist. She's my therapist <laughs> and Courtney's therapist. Uh, she's helped us get through a lot because we really needed it. And ain't that the truth? <laughs> ain't that the truth? And I shudder to think, who I would be or what my life would be like. And what our poor daughter would have to go through had we not at least made some effort to resolve (laughs) the trauma. And this is true for everyone. I'll just say that. This is true for almost, I mean, every American. What's true? That everyone needs to (laughs) go to therapy. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think it used to be, it's a luxury. It used to be, I think, integrated into, you know, your life. You know, you had a grandma, you had, you know, there was someone in the community who did this work. But because we live in America, um, you know, it's a violent, and it's a violent, you know. And then you're uh, lucky if you find someone worth a shit. Alienated culture. Yeah, where it's really, exactly, it's hard to find, you know, somebody who you can see. And Shannon has made herself so accessible to our community for so long. Like, we've been really fortunate. We like, are very otherwise, fortunate. Otherwise, I would not have gone. Yeah. She gave you so many tools. Yeah. And, to cope uh, with this painful reality. Yeah, really. <laughs> and just, yeah, I mean, some real... Me too. Me too. I oh, went yeah, too. Life changer. I saw her several times. I can't even explain what she does, but I think... As you're listening to this podcast, you'll get a glimpse, you know. I at, cried on her couch. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, there's just Kleenex is right there. And yeah, you use it. Even I use it. Even I cry. <laughs> Even you cry. Um, Real tears. <laughs> of sorrow. Of human feeling. Yep. Yep. But she um, is a Jungian expert. She knows about mythology and she knows about archetypes and she knows about the zodiac she knows about she's real genius she's a genius and and knows i mean and and it kind of runs the gamut frankly yeah it's kind of like she's someone who transcends a set philosophy in her practice you know she draws from a lot of different influences Mm -hmm. like i don't know like she reads like alan shore who Kind of is this guy who makes a case for like the therapeutic milieu and like yeah. how it replicates the parental attachment, but he backs it up with neuroscience. Yeah. And, and she reads, you know, she's like knows so much about addiction and, she, you know, and also she knows about attachment theory and Mary Ainsworth and Bowlby and you can read about that. And she knows, she just knows, she draws from many different disciplines and like, but it's a style, I guess, that's all her own. She's, I mean, she's, a, I, she's a, a, a like a healer, though. She's like a, almost like an like an oracle. She herself. Yeah, yes. she herself. Yeah, I mean, it's true. 
But instead of just babbling on and on <laughs> about what we think about her, we need to talk a little bit about her credentials and her Yes, yes. Courtney had written this beautiful statement and read it in real time at the beginning of the interview, but... Um, it is redundant now. We scrapped it with after we've already talked about her a lot now, and yeah. she's great and Y'all amazing. Y'all don't need to hear that long What we do want to give you a little bit... Yeah, it we was, just want to give a little bit of her formal resume, her CV, yeah. if you will. All right, we got Shannon O'Neill. She's an MA, LPCS, LCAS, CCS. <laughs> she's got her master's from Pacifica in uh, depth psychology. Now, wait, let's linger on this. Pacifica Graduate Institute. It is the most renowned, perhaps, Jungian school, just so you know. Because you can just kind of, like, what's Pacific Graduate Institute? Right. Just so you know, Joseph Campbell... He inspired the Star Wars I think movies. He helped found the he school. He founded it. You are exactly right. Yeah. He was a yep, he was on his the library's there. <laughs> yep. We have to also talk about the fact that she is a professor in the Masters of Social Work and Mental Health Counseling at Western Carolina University, and that she teaches the science of addiction and the role of early relational dynamics. Both of those subjects apply you can apply to any rock star in the 21st century so that makes her you know i mean yeah any person probably too (laughs) true. (laughs) yeah all right she's treated the spectrum of trauma-based disorders with a unique integration of body-centered modalities with Jungian psychology i swear i'm not reading this off her website i just know that off the top of my head so uh look she went to the university of tennessee she got her bs in psychology but then there's like clinical training experience. She's worked, you know, in prisons. She's worked at Our Voice, supporting survivors of domestic abuse and sexual assault. I mean, she has been, and that's just like a couple of organizations she's been a part of. There are so many, you know, 20 years plus of experience in the field. And did we, you mentioned that she was like a private practice therapist. I think we talk about that at length. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The thing about it is that, like, she is a legitimate (laughs) expert in her field, but she also loves this band. And I didn't know she loved this band because, you know, that's why she's she's my therapist. So I don't know anything. So, like, I mean, in this interview, y'all, you will not believe some of the subjects that are covered and concepts. You will, I mean, like I said at the top, you will have your mind blown. Um, and it's you know, nonstop. I mean, what was your takeaway, Shane? <laughs> so much. I mean, it's a lot, but, but really, you know, she kind of locates like the band and Ian McCulloch in their mythopoetic, uh, roles as, you know, Ian is like Oracle of Delphi kind of vibes, yeah. you know, like, and she but, really like zooms the lens out to really like contextualize this time and you know just to kind of set the scene for what was going that she zooms in on these individuals in the band Ian we focus most of our attention on because you know that's what you get when you're the lead singer and um but he's ver- just, he's verbalizing oh, the, the yeah. thing yeah he and she really conduit. locates like goth music and post-punk and it's like not only in yeah. the socioeconomic kind of circumstances out of which though they arose in the political climate, but also how where it sits like 
historically in, yeah, in, in terms of like human civilization <laughs> and so yeah. and and so in the cosmos you know it's and it's just... interesting how because it's like poking it's like this this magic poking through the fabric of like kind of capitalist sort of mm-hmm. um administered culture you know absolutely to borrow from like adorno you know where it's just like you kind of have a or, sure or, or spectacle somebody you know. has a you know a can trace some philosophical reason why that even is an illusion. The very magic, I'm sure that... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that Baudrillard could erase that for us somehow. It's a story we like to tell ourselves to... Uh, yeah. Assuage the... <laughs> capitalist the seduction. Capitalist seduction. Yeah. Anyway. So, <laughs> well, it's a better story than... Uh, no, but the magic, it is real. And yeah. It, and so, it has actual repercussions. So one of the things we're going to talk about tonight, um, I mean, she's going to tell you about Ian McCulloch's astrological chart. She looked it up. Yep. She's going to give you his chart. Yeah. And with great authority. As much as time will allow. Because she, yeah. Yeah. She, um, she, you know, probably could have spent the entire episode, but she was very much like she had some key points to, you know, talk about. But like, and I know there's probably some guys some blokes listening to the podcast, you know, who are like, you know, diehard Bunnymen fans, you know, they're like sitting there with their pint and like, and they might think that like astrology is bullocks, but you know, I but gotta not say, after you hear this yeah, shit, get into it because like, I mean, it's echoing the Bunnymen, you know, football and mythopoesis coexist. It is in this weird band. that they're a, they're a mythical band. And then they're also somehow like this, like yeah, working class band or something. Totally, and right. that's but or is it, or is it? There's no other way that it could be, and and guys, and we are gonna talk about football at some point. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna oh. have a football person Damn. come in. I mean, we have to. You don't understand. We have to. It's the. You know, it's like the thing. Yeah. You can't Google it. I just Liverpool. mean, I just don't know a damn It's thing bigger about than it. the We're Beatles. I know. We don't know anything yeah. about sports, but that's another topic of discussion. But, um, but, and there's also pretty, and then she psychoanalyzes the Ian and the band, their music, but I mean, also the see, culture, also the subculture, the culture. Yeah. Do you the, see how deep we're getting? How macro, how micro. You know, yeah, this is what's it, about to it's happen. It's psychological, to it's mythological, Some of y'all it's are historical, just sitting around, maybe you're political. driving to work, and you're going to be driving to work, and you're going to be like, whoa. Yeah, you're going to have your mind blown. <laughs> There's just no way around it. Yeah, I mean. She just, every word is like a sparkling diamond of clarity. Every sentence. And then, and, and it just, like. Creating a larger hole yeah. of, and like, I hardly had to edit it, because her brain, her verbal processing speed is, you know. Really it's fast. coherent. She's she's <laughs> hyper coherent. Whereas for myself, it's just a, both of us a bunch of pause. She should just take over the podcast. Basically, is what we're saying. <laughs> she needs a podcast. She she I and would I would actually, gladly give her this one. Yeah. Well, she probably could so help Shannon more people outside anytime. of the realm of Echo and the Bunnymen uh, with her yeah. uh, skills. But we are just so grateful that she did grace us with her presence yeah. and was so generous with her time. And I mean, just such a delight. To work with so anyway. we couldn't think of a better way to start <laughs> season two than to bring you shannon oh yeah.
Gotcha, gotcha. Um, I think firstly, I went to Pacifica to get my master's in psychology, um, counseling psychology, because the other option was Harvard. And it was way too reductive and boring and uh, certainly pathologizing. And when I interviewed at Pacifica, I actually introduced myself as wanting to utilize things like divination, like astrology as a way to ascertain personality instead of traditional like personality test batteries and stuff like that with a little bit of fear that I was going to be <laughs> judge. Fortunately, the, the man that was interviewing me was like a very, I didn't know, a, a well-renowned British Jungian analyst and was very well-versed in astrology and Carl Jung's work in astrology. So, so that just kind of sets the stage of like, really, truly, deeply interested in working on these deep levels, but also accessing things that I think to a lot of people would be considered out there. Right. Totally. Including, you know, understanding music as a a really important uh, tool for psychological healing. And And these are exactly the types of uh, things that are relevant specifically to this band that is so wrapped up in myth and archetype and <laughs> even astrology. Um, Ian McCulloch references astrology in interviews frequently mm. and maybe in songs too. But um, while you were at this institute, and I know there are many, many different types of uh, work that you do and modalities that you apply, but um, Jungian psychology is one of these things. And as we're going to learn, um, it's very relevant to the band. Can you briefly explain what Jungian psychology is? Yeah. Um, And maybe the role it plays in your practice. Absolutely. Uh, It's getting into like a branch of the psychodynamic, which is understanding that there's a complexity to the human psyche. And Jungian gets a lot deeper into more psycho-spiritual kind of dynamics, how they relate to the development of the psyche and the formation of the personality. So Jungian psychology is understanding on a personal level kind of what's mythopoetic in each individual, that there is like a hero's journey. There is kind of a perhaps a mission each individual is on. Um, when they're incarnating. So it has a bigger, broader view than just these old school reductive, you know, do these schemas and practice these affirmations and that kind of stuff. It's getting into a much broader picture and understanding that there's something inside all of us that accesses something much bigger than all of us, right, that can guide us towards like wholeness and psychological health. So Jungian psychology is, it's built in that there's a bigger picture. There's the archetypal realm. There's the pleroma. There's the collective unconscious. All these different ways of describing. There's bigger things to access, to guide us, to heal. I have a dumb question, kind of. (laughs) But but, uh, if you had to recommend one book 
by Carl Jung. I'm sure there's a lot of secondary literature that's probably better, but um, maybe <laughs> just because that was how it goes sometimes uh, with, uh, you know, philosophy, psychology work. Um, but is there is there a particular one that uh, I should read and our listeners should read? I would go for Archetypes of the Collective Unconscious. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, on that note, <laughs> can you explain what an archetype is? And what the unconscious is. Absolutely, right? It's, it's getting into like these really big and broad and sometimes even ineffable kind of concepts in a way. So I will do my very best to give language to it. Archetypes are kind of irrepresentable in and of themselves, but they're these big cosmic universal patterns that everything in the universe throughout time and every individual like has some sort of access to so different archetypal energies right show up in individuals or in certain times of history right so there's the magician archetype and the lover archetype so these are ways to access this bigger thing that informs the individual Um, how the individual is developing and again that's being it's a guiding principle if that makes sense so there's dreams and symbols the language is metaphorical it's symbolic so this kind of comes out of out of maybe like like plato's theory of forms absolutely because I studied philosophy yes, in did. college, and um, so I just did, you know. Anyway, absolutely, it seems like that there's that there's like the things that manifest in our world, but then there's these like immutable, eternal shapes that are mm-hmm. kind of more like the idea of the object. But it seems like the archetypes that you're talking about and that Young is talking about are kind of more more mythical, maybe than just. The archetype of this table or the form of this table. Right, right. What, is, what makes a table a table? That, you know, those are right. those are the boring things you talk about in like analytic philosophy, right? Or Harvard, maybe like you know, right. like, like for, you know, or the, whatever the corollary is for doing you know medicinal psychology or something. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I just want to talk about yeah, Plato so I could sound smart. I really don't. Well, know. and it really yeah. is getting into the forms, and you know, Young was like kind of re. Uh, define not redefining but just like just describing in different language things that have existed for millennia in terms of humans understanding these like big concepts and pictures and archetypal psychology is specifically you know utilizing these forms of being as a way for people to make meaning out of their life because the funny thing about your life meaning something there's there's something kind of organic and organizing about it. It makes sense somehow. And that's that helps people. It also makes me think of like being in the Pacifica Library and looking at Joseph Campbell's collection. Um, his own personal collective works of Young is in the library at Pacifica, and you can see all the notes in the wow. margins that he's written. He's written books inside the books of Carl Jung, but just really like excited about mythopoesis and how the myths and stories and belief systems throughout all of our history, right, as a species are, you know, pointing us to these big overarching patterns and forms. And it's, it's kind of cool to see that there's a design 
to it all. jump right into applying um, some of this understanding of archetypes and myths to the band Echo and the Bunnymen. Um, because I, because I, uh, otherwise this is just going to be like how we got you over here to get like a free session, you know? <laughs> totally. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I mean, when you get into what was going on at that time and that location, there was obviously kind of a what I would say from a psychodynamic archetypal psychology point of view, like a new wave of hysteria. Now we're talking about Liverpool, yes. post-war Liverpool yes. in the 80s, 70s, yes. 80s. Late yep. 70s, yeah. 80s, yes. absolutely. Minor and strikes are coming. All those things are happening. Yes. Absolutely. And when I use the term hysteria, I don't mean that in any kind of um, derogatory way. I'm talking about kind of like modern mystics modern mediums there was just something moving through uh, obviously that whole musical movement that whole scene punk of course but then you get into post-punk and then you're starting to get into like mythopoetic territory because there's some stories being told and mythical magical elements not just the names of the bands but the music they're playing the lyrics like the the singers were channeling archetypes. Can you list a handful of bands just off the top of your head that, you know, we're here talking about the bunny, but what are a few of the bands that, that you, that meet that description? I mean, obviously Echo and the Bunnymen and Susie and the Banshees, um, the Manchester, the, the Joy Division. Yeah, so. Joy Division. Um, you're getting into all this area where there's getting into like the, playing around with the darkness shadow yeah but it's the yeah the post-punk goth kind of scene the cure those those guys are you a sisters of mercy fan at all i I, I I loved them i I love them they're not as like prolific and as as overall good but i feel like they fit into that absolutely absolutely Mm -hmm. um and and how does ian mcculloch fit in with um this this time in history and the space as a Mm -hmm. and maybe what archetypes does he kind of embody Uh, absolutely i mean he's definitely the quintessential like magician seeker archetype and that aspect of the archetypal realm is like weak in ego but strong in spirit. So these are getting into the more medial aspects of the human personality, the human psyche. Whereas like warrior Amazon archetypes and mother father archetypes, these are more ego strong. Mm-hmm. So uh, a seeker lover archetype is interested in being not belonging. Right. And then a magician, their power comes from like their access to something beyond them that they tap into and Ian was clearly like he he appeared you could hear it in his voice like kind of um taken over by something moving through him and it was like messages (laughs) and which is quintessential magician or mediatrix archetype which is medial and getting into 
kind of what modern psychology was calling hysteria. They're broadcasting what's deeply buried in the human psyche, what people are trying to contain or hide or get over and they buzz through. So that whole scene, but particularly, you know, Ian had his way where, I mean, I just, he is kind of like astride the chasm in Delphi, right? With the vapors hitting him and he's like got stuff moving through him. And he has that sort of trance, like, I mean, that, that look on his face where he's like gone away. Absolutely. So it is, it's this dissociative, not embodied as much as like swept up by this spirit, this, this aspect, right? And it's a difficult archetype to be because you're kind of a conduit of things moving through you. Right. Totally. So it was a generation, a scene, a movement of like talking about what was deep, what was going on, the suffering, the complexity of like, you know, kind of on the tail end of like, you know, the fifties and everything looking all together and Mm -hmm. particularly because it was in England and the stiff upper lip culture and and it it was like not stiff upper lip like just it was busting out all the fifis all the feelings right there's a lot of emotional expression going on like a lot of channeling a lot of people were regulating themselves emotionally through the music and there's a there's like a really cognizant embracing of that though there's like a there's a t- there's a being taken over and a channeling I think that in the performance of the music, but I think also there was this. It wasn't you know without. I mean, you said that he's not ego driven, but it wasn't without this awareness and kind of like personal satisfaction at the fact that I'm some kind of mystic and I I have a message to share. And that's if I can piggyback on this comment real quick. That's what I was going to say is like, on one hand, we have this guy who is this medial, this uh, conduit channeling what is happening in the world now. And then and then along with that, we have this very um, inflated ego, Mm -hmm. a real like sense of conceit, in some ways, like a, you know, confrontational hypervigilance, defensive, defensive and whatever. So, pub crawling. Pub uh, crawling. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so how how does how do those two pieces fit together? Absolutely, and that's kind of what uh, the walking contradiction of the hysteric is: is that the hysteric has somehow adapted in a field where things aren't really fully integrated and working well. There's usually profound loss and suffering going on in the field that they're growing up in and they are suffering. So they're kind of astride this chasm of the spectrum of personality. So they've got one foot over in like histrionic narcissism world. So bravado and ego, and you can see it. It's like Susie and Ian It's like, I mean, cocky, conceited, <laughs> mouthy, mean. right? To mean, you know, that kind of thing. You know, on one hand and on the other, like so remarkably sensitive and suffering and just kind of astride that chasm and, you know, this complex being who was obviously, you know, riddled with, you know, there was an affliction. I just honestly think he was picking up on the amount of, I think, terror and scared stuff that was going on around him. Right. That is my 
obviously biased <laughs> opinion, meaning I tend to look at things from a very deep point of view. Yes. And this isn't without That's blaming. why you're on our podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because we do too. We haven't even talked about their first album. Well, I wanted to ask, I don't know if you've, you've heard this, but Ian has, uh, has identified as having OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm-hmm. He has claimed that as something that he's experienced. Um, can you tell me anything about that? Um, well, he has like mental rituals that he needs to sort of to, fulfill. Absolutely. Mm-hmm, to get absolutely. through doorways and he's discussed. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, if it's okay, like a little bit from like the psychodynamic on one hand and neuroscience, but also like the mythopoesis, like the archetypal psychology point of view is being pro-symptom, trying to understand what's trying to happen with this person. It, it, it's like using the... Uh, the pathology, the symptom to understand like what's going on for them. And, you know, someone with OCD, particularly how Ian has like depicted his symptoms, there's this, again, ritualized behavior. It's about binding an enormous amount of anxiety and dysregulation. So we're talking about a person as a child who he was in threat this does not mean there was abject abuse or threat in the field it's just nervous system to nervous system unconscious to unconscious communication of like something you know there was a lot of dread and fear like the bad thing keeping the bad thing from happening OCD is all about the ritual superstitious if I do this If I think this way, if I say this mantra, if I do these movements, somehow I can stave off this, this scary thing. So it's a very amygdala driven, threat driven state. And on a mythopoetic or archetypal psychology point of view, it is kind of, you know, the hysteric, but that being like the, the mediatrix or the magician archetype where it's like whatever is going on is just moving through them. And these copes that he developed, there was a lot of coping to like compensate for how incredibly terrified, fragile, inadequate he felt. So cocky and bombastic and mouthy. And on one of the earlier episodes, I, we had a discussion where um, I sort of had this revelation that he kind of wanted to have this like rough exterior but because he was so boyish or even like femme in his just outward appearance that he sort of almost like overcompensates for not having this ruggedness. And I said about the way that like Jim Morrison or Lou Reed had when they were young, which he and then I was saying that Ian has that now because he's older. And so his face, he just has a more rugged kind of kind of vibe, you know, but but I think that there's this kind of tough exterior that he was trying to put out. And then you're like, but who? Look at this! Look at this sweet cherub! You know, it's <laughs> like, a really good observation. Know, <laughs> beautiful voice. Totally, really good observation. Like this boy, like you know, I had a really good friend um, in college that looked exa- dead ringer for Ian, and you know, the spiky dyed and dirty hair, you know, and just this childlike face. But it is, it's compensatory. And to me, that was kind of what was going on with post-punk is like punk was like, you know, all these like broken hearted people that are being like really tough and like I'm pissed and anxious and bivalent, like fuck you. And, and then post-punk was kind of like this, uh, 
oh, we're not really gonna, I can't really pull that off. Like, I'm not that tough. Like, actually, I'm kind of emo. Actually. So it just has that emo vibe, like, I'm going to suffering and stuff. And again, it's kind of like the insecurities and the woundedness and awkwardness is like kind of bleeding out in the post-punk scene. Right. It's just kind of uh-huh. makes sense. But does sense. that sort of morph into this, like, avoidant like ironic thing eventually <laughs> not that we need Absolutely. to like dive into that because but uh, i just think that's a really great observation and no we do not need to go there yeah, fuck go. that <laughs> anyway <laughs> fascinating but I want to move the conversation to encompass kind of the band in its entirety and how it how this band sort of embodies kind of Jungian Mm -hmm. archetypes and we also wanted to talk about some of the symbology in the name Echo and the Bunnymen the the name of the band itself is enough yes. to kind of like stop you in your tracks and that was one of the things that was driving me as like a like late middle schooler early high schooler like hitting up the record shops like looking in the import section right or going into burning airlines and like ordering stuff is like you know intrigued by the names but um echo and the bunnyman in and of itself you're like dang yeah it's a it is a standout band name. It really is. Yes. <laughs> Can I say that it almost doesn't work or something? Sure. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> totally. as far, like, like you, too like, long. Too I mean, long. Just... It's just like it has like a. There's something about it that's just doesn't really roll off the tongue nope. exactly. And but it's, I mean, it's yeah. amazing. And yeah, right? but, is... but but in a way, you would think like yeah, that's never gonna go anywhere. Right. Like, it's like, right. I, don't know. Like, I would not have chosen it. Um, but it's perfect. But it's exactly. perfect for them. Um, well, I mean, so, get into the myth of like Echo and all right. that stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, then, that is my next question. Is, you know, Echo, the word, um, has a meaning, but it's derived from a Greek myth. Um, the myth of Echo and Narcissus. Um, would you talk about this myth some? Yeah, um, the, the myth is... Um, Echo is a kind of a nymph-like creature, like a, I don't know, a fairy-like, but she falls in love with Narcissus. And I forgot who who gave her a hard time. I think it's Hera. Hera. I don't know. She got bummed on some curse. And essentially, like, her love for Narcissus was one that was very reifying and stultifying for her. And all she could really do is just repeat herself. I'm not as good at telling the myth as much as understanding, right, the the archetypal psychology of what echoism is and that whole phenomenon. It's very relevant to Ian McCullough, oddly enough, because echoism is kind of this... uh, uh, offshoot of like what happens to people who are exposed to narcissism. So it's kind of this like uh, amplifying the signal. And and again, it gets a little bit into like, you know, these 
mild, sophisticated, dissociative features and just repeating or being a conduit. Things are just moving through you instead of like you being embodied and identifying yourself. It's like not having an identity. It's the polar opposite, right, of the narcissist or narcissus. And, you know, again, although hysterics or echoism certainly has like some ego heavy behaviors associated with it, there's just a way, right, that Ian was just kind of amplifying the signal that there was like, there was some stuff going on, right? There was pain and suffering and incredible fear in his field of early attachment, for sure, and again, I don't think anything sounded like abjectly abusive or anything like that. I just think that there was like suffering that was really like contained and echoism's kind of this like amplify the signal, be taken over, you know, the puppet of desire, which was the moniker for the hysteric oh, in culture, Let's... which is someone who's so sensitive that they're disrupted by things that are hidden. If that makes sense, Whoa, and he was. Dude. Okay, let's yeah. get it right. Okay, so, let's anyway. Get... Oh. <laughs> you know, as the French linguist and the feminist started getting a hold of the psychoanalytic uh, and the psychodynamic uh, tradition of like, pointing a lot of fingers at hysteria it was the uh, catch diagnosis for someone who had inexplicable like phenomenon mean physical symptoms that they couldn't trace to anything does that make sense and so this puppet of desire thing is kind of like this phenomenon and I know he's got this on the puppet mm-hmm. and there's some kind of haunting lyrics there where you're like wow yeah it's heavy it's, it's really yeah, yeah trampoline's broken ceiling has come down the ache in my back tells me something's gone wrong and it's like again like you can feel here the suffering that's going on and again I don't think anyone you know was mean or hard on him i just think that he was very medial and very sensitive sensitive and he was just picking up on anguish dad must have been suffering because i know that there was like gambling stuff there and then mom lost a child that's right an adult child and yeah so mom is really devastated yes and again, that's not blaming as much as like the reality of like what's happening in yeah. the, just the nervous system of a mom who's lost a child. Totally. That'd be really it, hard on a kid. Yeah, go terrible. ahead. Oh, go ahead. Well, I know of one other thing that happened and I might as well just talk about it now on the podcast. At some point in his young life, the, they lived in like a, um, what do you call those houses? That row are, house. A row house. Yeah. And the back of the house crumbled away, leaving them exposed (laughs) to the elements, the wall of the house, which, you know, in, in Liverpool, um, there was just a lot of infrastructure decay in the eighties. So that's kind of an interesting thing too, just to, yeah, you know, and how, and how symbolic as well. Right. It's like the house falling down. Okay. This is just random, but you know, Stephen Porches, he did some workshops in England 
and I was listening to a podcast and he did some kind of sound therapy. You know, he's doing that weird sound thing with that pillow that you turn on. And he, he was talking about doing the sound exercise in London or in England somewhere. And everywhere he does this exercise, it goes really well. But when he was in London, he, everyone freaked out and he said oh and it's because everyone in london or everyone in england is traumatized and he said that kind of like and he just kind of left it there dismissively right yeah why Mm -hmm. are they all traumatized well i mean porges would just assert that because they were like directly bombed right and stuff like that that and it's and culturally the way they uh, responded it it wasn't help as much as like you zip it back up you get shit together and so that would you know result in ptsd right so that's what he and and that's that's what can happen with neuroscience it's like you know well they have they're traumatized and you're like okay (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i mean like it's huge and then again it's not just bad events themselves right that causes trauma it's like the bad events and then the response isn't limbic and supportive and i get it there's something about there's something to be said for like Pull yourself up on the bootstraps. Get your shit together. Let's just do stuff. Yeah, totally. But and culturally, like a, a cultural uh, proclivity towards, we're not getting into that. Uh-huh. Just keep on moving. And a lot of stiff upper lip. A lot of not processing deep things. So, yeah, I mean, I just think that, like, it was always interesting that he uh, or the band had the, the name Echo and the Bunnymen because I, I couldn't help but think of the yeah. the These myth. things are also ac- accidental-seeming, though, you know. Yeah. Um, Their like, friend Smelly Alley came up with the name. They were like, this is ridiculous. Let's take it. Echo <laughs> was, like, the drum machine or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right, right. I guess I'll just bring up what I, what I wanted mm-hmm. to bring up now. Is Are you familiar with their manager, Bill Drummond? A little bit. And his whole deal? Um, Tell me so more. So he is uh, kind of a magician. You described him as this sort of the like fool. Shakespearean fool, yeah. like narrator. But he managed them for their first five albums in a very bizarre way because he's very much like a like a, like a mythic. First kind four of, albums. Yeah, first four albums. Okay. But um, so he, he has all this sort of like mythopoetic sort of narrative about Echo and the Bunnyman band name, like and just like deep Jungian analysis of them. And he, in the early 70s, was working at a theater in Liverpool that was being run by this kind of Jungian director. And so, and his, and so he learned all about that through him. And then just his management style was more rooted in, in magic and sort of um, astrological phenomena, ley lines, like really wow. weird, esoteric <laughs> sort of like, just almost like heat self-generated kind of, um, you know, myth basically, you know, and he really does more than anyone mm-hmm. articulates their place in, in, in myth and, 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 um, you know, in, in analyzing like some the magic and the uh, around the band, and he managed them from this sort of 
perspective. Am, am I articulating this in any way? Perfectly. I feel, but yes. but he um exactly. he continues to actually be like a very interesting artist. He's one of the most fascinating figures I think surrounding involved in the echo and the bunnyman like his later career he did the klf if you remember that song, yeah you know like right and then they burned like a million quid out on the <laughs> island and stuff you know and he's a scottish guy but anyway i can go on we're gonna do a whole episode about him but but i think it's interesting because he loud. gives voice to to all that and saw all of that in real time though That's as the, you know and and then managed them in a way that maybe denied their like they're reaching greater success perhaps okay. because because it was more this like inner world these imaginal realms that like right. and, and based in dreams and the like, bike trail and, you know, shaped like, like a bunny to yeah. announce their coming album and the, like, you know, have them play a show in iceland while copes you know playing in, like, new in new guinea at the he's same standing time on the a, ley lines are going up to the moon and not, yeah like, and like I mean, he's standing on a manhole in the middle of liverpool astride some kind i don't you know because young had a dream where he saw like a, a plant or what was it the tree on the well, island that's... On, and like and, and he saw that he thought this like wellspring of like this island under the manhole cover in Liverpool down by the theater where he was working at and he was going to stand there while these two concerts are going on in another part of the world like these are schemes he like tried to hatch he's very interesting in like imaginal realms imaginary bands creating you know um the yeah just these stories uh that's so wild in real time like that that there was like this heavy duty like magician. He had the trickster yeah. stuff going on. Right. That's and he wild. was I think he was with it for that. And he continues to be as an artist. I really think he's like really, mm-hmm. you know, just a someone who can manifest ideas good or bad. Uh I'm reading his biography, I'm like, oh God, man, why the <laughs> fuck did you do that? But like uh but you know, like just but but you know, like yeah, trickster. Yeah, like really able to just Every it seems like with him everything that he thinks of just becomes an art object or becomes manifest in this way. But it's interesting his analysis of the band wow. is. Um, and th- uh, I mean, this is the next question though. You're you're touching on is like, do you know the myth of, or it's not a myth. Do you know the story of Carl Jung going to Liverpool? Mm-hmm. And do you want to? Do you feel like retelling that? I think so, you would probably do a better job. Okay, if I could, actually Shane might do the best job. Who was he's dream. the one who? Yes, and he, he had was a in dream. Zurich, and he had never been there. He had totally, never he's never been. been. Totally, and so, it, I know it involves an island and this like kind of dirty like city thing. But go ahead. So Carl Jung has a dream where he um, is in a rainy, desolate city. Where, you know, the weather's shitty and it's just terrible there. <laughs> yeah. And in the midst of the city... And he's walking with some friends down the street. I, I think, think he's walking with some friends, yep. And a a tree, a magnolia tree... Oh, yeah. ...is growing and it is so beautiful and it is in full bloom in the midst of this rainy, dreary, desolate uh, environment. It's like almost like glowing. It's, yes. It's like radiant. <laughs> like the tree of life. And so he has this dream. And I think that his friends are asking him um, why he moved to Liverpool. And he's telling them, well, you know, I really, I love it here. 
Yeah, there was something about like he loved it in the dream. Yeah, right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had never been. But he had. But exactly. he has never been, and it has ch- kind of changed. It changed the city forever, and you know these theaters and and whatnot that have grown up around um, this myth of Carl Jung dreaming of their city, and they have like monuments oh, wow. to Carl Jung and and various things of that nature. And then there's like this sort of like how Asheville has like a crystal vortex, like there's this theory that there's like an underground wellspring huh. in Liverpool. And that's where and that's what um Bill Drummond thought that that was directly under this manhole cover that was outside the theater at the bottom of the hill <laughs> that he worked at in the early 70s that had a bust of Carl Jung wow. in like the courtyard in front of it. And uh, and so, yeah. So wow, I I didn't know how like involved and it's intricate. Wi- it's That's really wild. wild, and something was going on. Yeah, <laughs> and I have this controversial thought uh, that we can get into later, but how like we can cut this out, but <laughs> how like kind of you know their best work was during their association with Drummond. However. Uh, dysfunctional he was as a like kind of crazy artist magician person you know and like did things all wrong in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. like you think about what was going on in that period there was that was another thing i you know just a theory but there is something to that like him as a part of that association that Mm -hmm. was i don't know to bringing that element to the table in this intellectual way in this scholarly way like he went to the library and researched about the right. gods and knew all of the myths totally. and like you know he was very like and he was the band's manager for like that period of time i had no idea yeah. but it is it's such a magician but trickster because you start getting into like magician archetype is the realm of ideas but when you start getting into and forgive me i do what i do so i'm like putting together like a a reverse engineering like what I imagine his psyche psychic structure is but it's like it sounds pretty narcissistic like flight of ideas and again not that yes oh yeah so yeah so so it's like on one hand magical and you're like being love bombed and you're under the spell on one hand on the other you're kind of getting like you know held back or that kind of thing and you're getting like you sold back to you if that makes sense and so that would add to some of the interesting dynamic with the, the individuals in the band Ian included that's just you sold back to you that's that's amazing that's, totally but that's that magician trickster like one yeah. of the different uh, more insidious forms of narcissism is they're like they're brilliant and they're like synchronicity kings I mean they're connecting the dots but you start getting into flight of ideas and like you said Shane, like the kind of mismanagement, like you're you're on their ride, so to speak. Right, it's exactly. chaos. It's exactly. a chaotic you're ride. Like, okay, here we but go. Then, but then, but then they connect, though. Then they connect but it does... in this crazy way. Like, yes. like, like, if, and then even with us, like, because when we realize, when I realized, they made this association with him, and then all of these, you know, bigger concepts. But it's like, you know, as a middle school child, that song KLF captured you know our imagination mm-hmm. you know in this way it was a big hit but it was also like it wasn't like the now you could hear anything whenever it came on the radio it was like this is the best song on all of the radio and I'm, and he's like totally like sick of it disavows it like that that was just something right. you know and, and and also that was all um theater you know that was all like it was just 
you know, they were very, like, it was just totally concocted. Like, it was all fake. It wasn't, hit. he's a hip-hop artist. You know, like, they were just, you know, it was very, like, you know, like, he just, like, I'm going to manifest whatever idea and create illusion, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and like, and create myth- mythos. And, like, and and he, does, and he did that with KLF specifically, but then it's interesting just to be present during the Bunnyman period well, maybe that stuff is like actually going on. I like how, yeah, you sold back to you. It's like, he's like tapped in enough to be like, this is what's happening and mm-hmm. I, and, and, and mm-hmm. be able to articulate it. We have that like genius that, you know, some people can have to be that dialed in, but yes. you know, it's getting into covert territory. It's trickster. It's trickster. It's trickster. And then the bunny men. So you got like all that trickster stuff. Oh yeah. The bunny what's the bunny archetype? Well, exactly. There's bunny gods in almost in every belief system yeah. in every age. It's a, obviously a powerful creatrix kind of energy. Yeah. Um, For also trickster, yeah, Kundalini, all that stuff. So Is that why the trick cereal has the bunny as a mascot? <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of that. That's so funny. Oh my god, I think that's, that's silly rabbit control. tricks are for exactly, kids. exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> very good observation totally i mean it's archetypal but yeah it's 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 a creative force but it's also like um tricky and slick fast moving yeah it reproduces very quickly because it's such a vulnerable little creature he is the trigger yeah and it's there's kind of it's just yeah like chaos it just it's hard to look away from it mm-hmm. yeah it's so it's spell binding i yeah. mean and that's kind of what i would say some of what was going on for the post-punk realm is like it was kind of like being haunted and under a spell there was just something very mystical and magical going on it was still some of the rough edges of punk right DIY and fuck the system but there was these you were starting to get into these realms like these magician mediatrix realms so there was that kind of spell your lips a magic world your sky hung with jewels the killing moon will come too soon so while we're on the subject of Ian um it seems that you have looked into his astrological chart, and I can only imagine <laughs> that many of our listeners will be interested to know what you've found, since, again, he is someone who refers to his chart and is a believer in astrology. I wondered if you would like to share any of the information. Absolutely. And and just to start off, like the caveat for this is, all of this is just in great appreciation for individuals and how complex we are. <laughs> and, you know, it is kind of like if we look at anyone's chart, like we all have like some shining things and shitty things and yeah. that kind of thing. So it's not in any way, shape or form to naysay, but it it is astounding to see how clear his chart uh, represents uh, his personality. It really depicts it. I mean, it's like I could have, without knowing who he was, look at this chart and be like, oh. And put the placements where they need Absolutely. To uh-huh. It's kind of uncanny. So, I mean, of course, what stands out is like, you know, we don't know, I don't know his ascendant. I've looked, um, but you, you have to get birth time to do that. But what counts in terms of really determining someone's personality structure is 
you know, the aspects of the planets to each other. So he has sun in Taurus. He was born May the 5th. Mm-hmm. And his son um, is in a favorable, like kind of a creative dynamic uh, relationship with Mars. So that's like a, kind of his personality right the way his life force his prana moves through his being right is in this like dynamic uh uh, arrangement with mars which is you know that's instinct what you do when you're threatened that's getting into more instinctive life force like some brazen aggression those kind of things so so you have that so that certainly helps in terms of some bravado get out there and do things despite like things in his chart that would you would expect him to be a hermit. So that got him out there. That would be indicative. But the really wild thing that stands out to me the most is his moon is in Aries and it is in a difficult or squared aspect with Mars. So emotionally, we're talking about someone who feels a lot of inner conflict right and a lot of like it would be like aggravated that kind of thing so that would be kind of how emotions move through his system and wherever the moon is also uh, relates to um, how you self-soothe what makes you feel safe and comfortable that can be a cope and become a problem right (laughs) um but it's what people do to self-soothe so like the aggression the bravado the conceit the anger, you know, that kind of stuff is really indicated in this, like, Mars squared the moon. It's, it's right the there. the killing moon. It is. Well, this here's literally the thing. It is like the killing moon because you get into, it's doubly hit up by this aggressive energy of Aries and Mars. The moon is in Aries. Whoa. And then it's, you know, squared Mars. It's also conjunct his South Node. And South Node's kind of like your path of least resistance. It's like the thing karmically, like you are here to like stop doing. And it's real indicative of like this kind of indulgent of this kind of like destructive energy, but definitely like killing moon, Mac the mouth. I mean, you can just see it in the chart, you know. And again, there's like a Thanatos drive, with someone that has uh, moon um, conjunct the south node, and then you add, it's also conjunct Mercury. So then you start getting into like the things that relate to Mercury, like words and um, ritual, and you know those kind of things, like being another way they self-soothe. So it's kind of interesting. You can see like when you have like Mercury conjunct the moon it's not uncommon to see OCD like symptoms because mercury rules like rules and rituals and words. And does that make sense? Yes. So you get into that kind of phenomenon. I could go on forever, but (laughs) he's also got like Pluto opposed Chiron, um, in Virgo, like the Pluto's in Virgo. And that also is indicative of like someone who struggles with like things being perfect and just so and kind of getting stuck in like analyzing and breaking things down. Right. And then there's the dynamic where his um, son is opposed Neptune. So people with that placement tend to have um, 
fathers that struggle with addiction or aren't really there. There's also some incredible sensitivity because Neptune kind of opens you up. Neptune's like this thing that makes you, it's like permeability and nothing's defined. And so there's just a way that, you know, kind of the world would move through him. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's not an easy placement to have. So anyone that has like sun in with Neptune, difficult um, relationships, they can just be like kind of like overly, we're going to be sensitive. Yeah. Like very sensitive. (laughs) Does that make sense? Definitely. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Is there any... Oh my gosh. (laughs) It's just like so much. But again, it's just, you can see like the complexity of like on one hand, this incredible sensitivity, you know, and some level of confidence and get out in the world, but also kind of like crippling lack of confidence and self-esteem and the behavior being compensatory for that and just the struggle, but an inner conflict. It's dynamic though. So the person tends to continue to like try to grow and do something about it. There's some level of insight and there's some like uh, ability to take like ownership of like, okay, yeah, that's uh, totally. And it's very much in keeping with a hysteric. Hysterics are beautiful, delicate, like sensitive creatures that also have some like BAD qualities. Mm -hmm. There's acting out. Before we end, um, I wanted to ask you about your personal relationship to the band, how you discovered them, what they've meant to you, favorite albums, and anything like that you care to share. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, let's see. I, so we're talking about like 7th and 8th grade and ninth and 10th grade. Um, I had a best friend whose cousin lived in Atlanta and was way into the punk scene. So five points and that whole realm. And so I was being introduced right to a lot of cool stuff. And so this is how the, the sequence of it, um, checking all sorts of things out. I'd already gotten hold of a burning airlines magazine and some sort and I ordered some sort of like punk goth magazine and had echo and the cure and Susie, all that stuff. So, and I was straight up obsessed. And so like dove right into it, way into it. So I, let's see, I'm trying to remember when it wasn't until ocean rain came out that I got an album of echo and the bunny man. I've been reading about them, like all these cool, like, Brit magazines writing about them and stuff like that but I got Ocean Rain and so but that was after like a few years of being like just completely swept away by the Susie and the Banshees stuff mm-hmm. but that's how I got introduced is like just you know inhabiting the the import section of the record store and like just really hungry and, and in a way kind of like um 
kind of one of the themes of what we're talking about. It was kind of like being drawn to certain things, like not really knowing why, but I'm like, I really want to hear them. Mm-hmm. And then just listen, I mean, just from the get go, the ocean rain. And then of course I immediately went out and got the three earlier albums and it was just nonstop playing them in my room. Which is your favorite? Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's, it's kind of tough. I think, I think the whole album Ocean Rain probably because it's like kind of a, it's kind of overcoupled memory of like that was my first introduction and I love Thorn of Crowns. <laughs> but I was talking about earlier like the Yo-Yo Man and just the like the instrumentals. I was like, this is amazing. Froze to the bone in my igloo home Counts in the days till the ice turns green So it was like magical. It was very trippy, kind of psychedelic. So, and it, I know, chills. And I mean, and that's when I'd started diving into Carl Jung myself. So it all felt very uh, connected. I didn't know there was a connection between Echo and the Bunnymen and Carl Jung, but, you know... Um, the album Synchronicity came out and I just started reading Carl Jung and started really diving into that phenomenon and even some of the funky like quantum physics like Wolfgang Pauli and Synchronicity and so I was like really inhabited in that world and I was like whatever 14 15 wow and so all that music made sense to me do you, did you ever see them live or anything? I never got to see them live. Yeah. You still can. I know. <laughs> They're still... And I'm, I, I probably will. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's a good show. Yeah. Ian's very... Uh... Oh, he will talk some shit. He will stand right up there and you will not oh. be disappointed. He will talk shit oh, yeah. about Bono. He will call out people in the audience. He called me out. Yeah. yeah. Did he really? And I was seeing people. Because I was wearing a yeah. shirt... And Shane, I think, was going like this to get him to talk to me. And then he was like, you know, what are you saying? You can't understand what he's saying. Uh, he I said recognize something. Them or something. Yeah, uh, like, who are those kids on your shirt or something? And, um, he's he, just, yeah, he's he will, the conduit. He's yeah, just be feeling careful, the, feeling he the feelings of everyone in the audience. And then, like, parents, like, what? Um, <laughs> well, I don't But I guess kind of to wrap things up, are there any other um, words of wisdom you want to share about this band? Or just about some of the concepts that, you know, have been introduced during this interview? Well, yeah, I think that, like, what is the takeaway, right, for me is that the the band itself just played, like, a big role. Like, they kind of had their finger on the pulse of, like, a subset of people coming up at that time. And... um I think it's a great way to tap in, maybe not really understanding in any kind of academic way, but what was going on in the collective unconscious of the time. And it, it, there's just a lot of like weirdness and darkness, um, suffering, pain, poetry, beauty. But I think that, you know, I think people should listen to the music. It really mattered. And of course I have like an association with it because it was coming of age time for me, but it just, it really mattered. There was something important happening and I don't pretend to have the words to describe exactly all 
of what that was, but it was a transmission from Psyche herself. <laughs> and Ian got like tapped on the shoulder, kind of more like clubbed over the head and drug to like do this, be a conduit for something because his, there's word wizardry going on with the, the lyrics and it's musically incredible. Yes. Sonically, it's it's you can feel it in your body, mm-hmm. right? It moves through your system. I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I it's like good. I'm like 14 years old. I think it's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's weird though. What do you think about like? There's but they're still going. Do you know yeah. what I mean? They keep making new music. <laughs> uh, you know, Bill Drummond wanted them to be done after five years. He was like, "Then now you are done." And they were like, "But uh, we got this band but now." I, yeah, we like this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, and then he left, and then you know, and then but then the music they play on their shows is the music from that period. Still, you know, it's weird though that people people are still tapped in though. To I, I mean, they're still who they are or were, but I mean, like you know, they all have grown kids and they're all. I know, still, and the, like, ki- I the know, people who just... listen to them are like. 50-year-old men um, and teenagers. Like, I get, we have a lot of people, like, who That's write so cool me. That's so that they're, they're like, getting into yeah, it. Yeah, like 16, 15. It's mm-hmm. like a resurgence. And at the show, there are a bunch of people, kids with their parents. But I feel like the, the parents were taking them yeah, because the kids wanted to go and they couldn't go by themselves. And some of them were the kids of the people, but they're like, they were wearing the shirts and they were it's into cool. it. It's cool. It's yeah. cool. The kids find music, you know. Yeah, like, exactly. I mean, you know, and they'll feel that 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 mythos and that mm-hmm. magic if it's there. Mm-hmm. Oh. Shit transcends, uh, you know, whatever the state that the culture industry is in right now, or the music business, or whatever. Absolutely, because you know? like things don't arrive to us the same way that they right. did. You know, like David Byrne talks about that in his book. But he was saying, you know. You might feel like you discovered something in this like special magazine or at this special record store, but you were actually marketed to in this just in Even from this then. other angle. There were angles to make you feel like you were discovering things, you know, like and it was mm-hmm. like and uh, I was like, oh man, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, <laughs> totally. But uh, but but then that seems to not be as possible or something now you know that makes yeah that's an excellent point because i mean i did feel like i was tapped into something and i had i knew something that no one else knew i was like in chattanooga tennessee and catholic school right Right. i was like i gotta hold this weird shit yeah you know but but at the same time like the way we were getting access to the transmissions if you will was the kind of this cool ritual like you go to the record store and yeah you know and you're reading the liner notes and i mean there's so much ritual involved it was my religion it was my spiritual practice right for a long time and it's the master regulator music is phenomenal for that i don't know if some people would have made it if it weren't for music. I was attached. Oh, That's yeah. where I landed my attachment yeah. physiology. Yes. It saved me. It the, was like... It was the drug kind of. It absolutely. Was the, the medication, the... Absolutely. Yeah, the cure. Yeah, really. it really was. Yeah. Exactly. And I just think that there was something like, even though we were marketed to, and mm-hmm. all those things are true, and... Uh, it doesn't it, diminish the... It doesn't diminish. The, the, the actual power of this universal eternal mm-hmm. 
transmission. And, yeah, David and... Burns. <laughs> Burns. <laughs> Come on, Burns. You're so cute, right? Totally. But I do. I think that like Ian was definitely channeling. I think it's like a dubious honor to be like a modern mystic and you just have your ass kicked and you're yeah. kind of a wreck and you're still living still <laughs> doing still it still going right that every kind of day thing. of the week they're playing a show it seems like yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's augustinian uh-huh. i like that you know <laughs> who is a neoplatonist exactly and, uh, good point <laughs> just to tie it back around my uh, first observation <laughs> that it doesn't matter what the industry is doing we're talking eternity here you know yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Well, Shannon, we cannot thank you enough. I mean, I, this has been utterly enlightening. Oh, yeah, it's really great to have you here. Conversation. I mean, so much fun. What, what yes. an honor! Really, really. thank so you. Yeah, it was so much coming. fun yes. to just be able to like banter. Yes, I've enjoyed listening to the podcast because it's delightful. Just the the banter, and y'all both are so intelligent and funny. So it's just like and tired, and it, it, it's perfect, right? Thank you. It's perfect, particularly for Echo and the Bunny Man. I think that your your contribution here is going to be. Uh, really appreciated by some of our our listeners because I'm, I'm so glad we have about five listeners that are really <laughs> awesome. dedicated and uh, and really I think are gonna be hip to what you're saying. Well, on that note, mm-hmm. um, we don't have like a way that we usually close this. We don't have like a. See you next time. Well, the music we comes ha- up. Oh yeah, the music so comes that, up. So we Here can fade that up right now. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, and basically, uh, you can write us. Oh, I know what we need. Oh. To. I know. What we need. So, where can people find you to learn more about you? And uh, you yeah, know. well, the for somatic psychology, right? You can look at somaticpsychology.com or somatic psych. Dot com. Somaticpsych.com. Yeah. And then there's the entity that's more astrology based, and that's zodiactivity.com, and that gets into astrology. Oh, I've never visited the website. Totally. It's very archaic. It's like I started it like years ago when I started my own astrology business while I was in college, and then, and then. My husband resurrected it from wow. the internet somewhere, we'll or whatever. We'll include that in the, in the description of the, the, of the episode. Notes. Fun. This so is good. fun. Yay. Thank you. <gasps> Yay. I'm, I can't oh, wait to just... Oh, no. All right, so All right. that was the episode. Can you believe it? I know. Wow. I told you. Told y'all. So. That was heavy. That was uh, That's a great season premiere. Yeah, I mean, you're going to want to listen again and again. That's sure. the way I feel about that conversation. Yeah, I know. I feel I, like it, I missed some stuff probably. Uh-huh. Or... And then I need to hear it again and just to kind of internalize it. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, I edited it too quickly because she was so easy <laughs> to edit. Yeah. And now it's gone. So I'll just be listening to it. Myself.
It's kind of like we like she came over here and we didn't have to pay her for a therapy session and she like kind of recorded it for us, you know, so now we have access to Oh, it's, yeah, it's like a recorded We don't even, like, we never need to go back to her again. We just feel like shit. We'll just listen to this episode and it'll make us feel good. And you can too. I mean, I hope that Ian listened because he got some free This is important for him. This is important for Ian. I hope he got his chart read. I think I was thinking earlier today that uh, I'm going to just say that what that this was probably the best reading he's had. Oh, no doubt. You know, yeah. And it's not even over. You know, he could contact Shannon and she would give him the rest of his chart. I partially I also hope Bill Drummond listens to this episode because of the uh, just an, except the only thing is that we kind of analyze him as a, a narcissist, <laughs> but uh, but aside from that, I think like he would appreciate the. He might uh, appreciate that too. He might yeah. think that was He's interesting. Like, hmm, that's true. <laughs> you know, I am. That's one person's uh, <laughs> sort of take, and uh, but yeah, I just hope you guys enjoyed it. And listen, you can write us a letter at echoinherepodcast at gmail dot com. Not technically a letter. It's more of an email. Uh, we don't have a P.O. box, but... But we have a Patreon. <laughs> and Not really, but it's my Patreon. And it goes, which, it goes to both of us. It goes to the family over here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He'll give me some. <laughs> I will always share with you. Now, what, now, could you tell us the name of this? Oh, Patreon is just patreon.com slash Shane Parrish or however it goes. One, one R. R, one R, you fucking dummies. One R. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Why does that happen all the time? Right. Yeah. It's not parish. It's parish. How do Isn't you spell it? parish? Parish is a word. That's right. Why do so people always put why. two R's in Because they're like... Oh, it can't be. It, like, it can't be that because that's a church. So it's yeah. parish. Yeah. <laughs> it's like all the people that call me Sean. I have people that I've been working with for 10 years at my school. They're like, hi, Sean. It's like, I don't even correct them. My name's Shane. Let me Shane. tell you something else. Yeah. My name, this is when people can just go ahead and stop listening, but my name <laughs> is two P's and two L's. Oh, uh, yours like is horrible. Like the parish yeah. that yours isn't. Right. Yours is the opposite. Sh- people it's a church. Chappelle. But it's spelled wrong. Yeah. It's So we have... That's because you all rednecks like, couldn't pronounce <laughs> I know, Chappelle. Chappelle. It was like chapel. Yep. Ooh, it's like it was so it's nice. like when they go to New York and they're like Houston Street is Houston. Why is it fucking Houston though? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's some bullshit. And we have K. All those Georgia. things. Tell me I've about said that. that before in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, everyone, I hope y'all have a great rest of your drive to work. Yep, we're grateful <laughs> for you. Blessed be. I hope it's not longer than an hour commute. Season two is, is going to rock you. you. It's going to be our best be season more yet. Coming. <laughs> we might talk about their songs soon. Oh, we're about to right now. We're going to record the next one right now. So chill. So the next episode. Let's get the hell out of here.